Hello everyone, this is Don Jurgler, and welcome to the Insuring Cannabis Podcast, a bi-monthly trip into the intersection of two industries that couldn't be more different. If you ask around about cannabis captives, you won't find out much. When I got curious and started reaching out to sources about captives and cannabis, most of the folks I spoke with told me there are few, if any, captives for cannabis companies. One common theme I did hear was a sort of underlying coming soon to a theater near you message when I was asking around. As the industry matures, interest in forming captives is sure to grow, according to people in the space. A few brokers I know have been gearing up to focus on helping cannabis companies set up captives when that time comes. With premiums for several lines of insurance still relatively higher for cannabis than in other industries, and the industry strapped for spare cash lately due to a supply and demand imbalance and a pullback of funding, some believe the time for cannabis captives is at hand. Which brings me to this episode's guest, Wes Sirk, Managing Director at Risk Management Advisors. He's hyper-focused on cannabis captives, and he's betting his time and resources that he'll be pretty busy this year and beyond. Let's get right into it. So tell me what you're doing with cannabis captives. Do you have a lot of these sort of companies in captives yet? Yeah, well, yes and no. Um, we have a lot that we're in the process of getting formed, but you know, only a few have done it at this point. Why aren't there more takers for cannabis captives right as of yet? Well, I'd say it's really the the timing of the industry. So in in my experience, that this is a sophisticated insurance purchase. And let's look back. You've been in this industry for a while, so you know that the sophistication level of the cannabis operators continues to evolve. So you have more and more and more sophisticated purchase. The cannabis industry, they're now sophisticated purchasers of insurance. And they're looking for alternatives. So that's where captives have come in. What sort of conversations have you had with cannabis companies about captives and, and what are you telling them? We start by just exp- by just getting their feedback on tell us about your insurance. And some of them have good programs. Some of them have, you know, poor programs. But we try to figure out how much covers they have, what kind of covers they need. And there's there's a couple different ways you look at insurance in an industry. You look at what do what is everybody buying, but then you also have to look at the, the lawsuits. So there's there's a big difference between what insurance companies say they cover and what they actually cover. And it all comes down to you know the lawsuits and and what did they what did the insurance companies end up paying and what did they get out of having to pay on where the people thought they were insured. So we're talking about that. First of all, we start with risk management and then we go into what is a captive. And it's basically an insurance company that a business owner sets up to ensure the risk of their business. So instead of buying from the AIG, Zurich's and Liberties, they actually become their own XYZ cannabis company insurance company. And then they write the premiums to their own company instead of buying from the traditional market. Well, one attractive aspect of captives would be that premiums are expensive for cannabis companies. Uh, Can you give me some idea of how much premiums are for common lines in some industries compared with cannabis? 
property, cyber, DNO, et cetera, just to give us an idea of why cannabis companies might consider captives. Yeah. So premiums, I will say, have come down. I mean, if we were talking two years ago, you could have a DNO policy that's a million dollar limit, policy limit, where the, the deductible is 250000 and the the cannabis owners were asked to pay 750 to 800,000 dollars for that policy. Now it's down to 500, but that's still a lot if you look at it. Because uh, because if if you have a million dollar policy and you're you're paying half a million dollars in premium, and you have a 250 deductible, well that means with one claim you've paid 750,000 dollars of a million dollar policy limit. If you actually had two claims then it's you paid a million dollars for a million dollars worth of coverage so that when when the premiums and deductibles get closer and closer to the policy limits that's when you that's when it you know the cannabis business owners are waking up and saying what am i actually buying insurance for because i'm taking most of this risk on myself property well and i i I don't want to be too long-winded with you um Don, but it's not uncommon for a cannabis owner to have many different types of businesses all within their one business. So they could be doing manufacturing. They could be doing growing. They could have a dispensary. They could have a a company that, that manages their employees, so a separate management company. And each one of these have a different kind of risk, but they go to a an insurance broker and say, okay, I need this coverage. And they're they're covering all the bit. They're trying to cover all the businesses with, you know, these policies when it's really each individual business needs its own. Well, what are you hearing from the cannabis brokerage community about captives? What's their level of interest? Well, I mean, you and I were introduced because they're up by a by an insurance broker in this industry. But I would say for most part, it's a mixed bag. Because some brokers are interested and some aren't. Um, I find that the, when we get calls from brokers, most of the time, it's when they're in competition or they're potentially losing a client. So then they suddenly become interested in, oh, well, what is this whole captive thing? So it's interesting. Remember Upton Sinclair? He wrote The Jungle. Well, in 1930, he was running for governor of California. And he lost. He lost horribly because he was saying stuff that wasn't popular. And they asked him, why do you think you lost? And he said, and I and I think this is relevant here. He said, it, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. That's a good one. I like that. Well, yeah. what's the what's the profile uh, uh, for a cannabis operator who may be best suited to get into a can into a captive? I would say they have to be. A perf- they have to look at their business. They have to be a perf- what I call a professional operator. And not, it, I don't mean this pejoratively, but there are there are some cannabis businesses that we've talked to where they really see it as a as a mom and pop type business. They're not looking at it as, look, we've we've now progressed to a level in which we have to take this stuff seriously. Um so professional operators, I would say, you know, they're in the dispensary. They are in 
they're in grow facilities or manufacturing. I would say they're in insurance premiums combined between everything, you know, and this is just a rough rule of thumb without workers comp should be in the $500,000 range. Um, workers comp is a much more interesting and difficult coverage to place because of injuries that happen. But if their workers comp is half a million dollars and for many of these, you know, grow facilities, it's it's well over that or manufacturing. So professional and let's say your premiums are half a million dollars or more. The um, cannabis industry until now has been largely kind of, if you would, rental CFOs, not too many CROs, that's for sure. Um, as the industry has mature, matured, do you see a time for captives uh, taking off? Is 2023 that year? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the the amount of people that are coming to, well, there's a perfect storm as far as I see it in that returns for some of these publicly traded cannabis companies are are low. You know, their stock prices are down. The price per the the price for their product in some areas of the country because of supply, oversupply, the price has gone down. So now insurance is becoming bigger and bigger, part of their line item in their budget. So they're looking to say, okay, how can I reduce or take some control over that, you know, huge expense? Um, and and cyber is, I don't know if you've you've done a show on cyber, but cyber is exponentially increasing and the amount of co companies that are wanting to do it are going down but the cannabis industry is highly dependent on cyber because it's you basically have to do you have to track seed to sale and tie it into the state regulatory system so if you have any hiccup suddenly that goes offline you can't sell so that's an area where you know, we're we're getting a lot of interest from people in the marketplace of cannabis operators saying, you know, our insurance, we we're getting non-renewed for our cyber. What can we do with you? So how does the reinsurance landscape look for captives? Any global reinsurer interest in the space? Oh, there's a huge market for reinsurance. It's a catch 22 because under the Controlled Substance Act, it's federally illegal, but that will change at some point. Now you have had Safe Banking Act and other things, but a lot of the federally regulated insurance companies are hesitant to get into the market. Some are, I mean, it's coming. Two years ago, there were 20 carriers. Now I think there's 33 carriers that will write the cannabis industry. Um, they predict once it becomes federally legal, that this will suddenly be a three and a half to five billion. The insurance side will be a three and a half to five billion dollar industry. That's domestically. So what the the global reinsurance companies, they like cannabis. You know, places I mean, Canada is is able to do it. Um, you know, it's federally federally legal in many different areas of the world. And they've seen their profitability on it. So they're raising their hands. These reinsurers are saying, okay, if if a cannabis owner, business owner, is willing to take some of the risk, which they're doing with their deductibles anyway, then 
they can form their own insurance company and we will come in and reinsure it because their thought is that when it becomes federally legal, there'll be a lot of people coming in to saying, hey, we'll sell you this stuff. They want to create the relationships today. So when it changes, the cannabis business owners who have their own captives will say, hey, I was with Genry, Swiss Re, you know, Lloyd's of London, all these other carriers. I was with these reinsurers. They were here when I needed them. So I'm not going to change now. But what else can we say about captives? I'm always looking for anecdotes or anything like that. Well, I mean, I would say a, a couple different things. Um, so our with the with captives, they're becoming wider and wider used in many different industries. 2021 was the best year we ever had, and we're the the sixth business insurance, the sixth largest manager of captives in the world. Um, 2021 was our best year ever. 2022. We were 60%, we did 60% more captives than we did in 2021. So as premiums keep going up, people are looking for alternatives. And then you have places like, you know, jurisdictions like Delaware, who have passed legislation specifically saying, we want to do captive insurance for the cannabis industry. So they wrote specific legislation for it. Um, And then they went a step further at the, I believe, I don't know. I can't. The older you get, all these dates kind of run together, but it was either the end of 2021 or beginning of 2022. They changed their captive law for DNO. So you can write side A and B directors and officers. So you're you're giving directors and officers insurance to, you know, unrelated parties to, to show. And as cannabis becomes and I use the term before more professional. Um, and I again, I don't mean that any disrespect to that, but what what a lot of them are doing is they're looking for private equity money and private equity. They they're going to want these care, these companies to have directors and officers insurance. So in order to get the money they want, the investors they want, they're going to need to have some sort of solution. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense, and I really appreciate you being here and explaining all this to me. I think our uh, listeners are going to be interested in hearing what you have to say. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Insuring Cannabis Podcast. You can find other episodes from this series by visiting insurancejournal.tv. Until next time, I'm Don Jurgler.